0: Hey guys, thanks for listening to Kinda Dating, the comedy dating podcast where influential guests and I break down the dating world and try to figure out why the fuck do we all have commitment issues? Today's topic is integrated attachment theory. What the fuck is that? Let's find out. Hello, Kinda Daters, I'm Natasha Chendale. You're listening to Kinda Dating, We have such a great guest for you today. She's also like the sweetest human. I want you to just hear her voice because it's going to be completely different than mine. Um, It's much more gentle and and, uh, it feels like a little song. Um, I feel like you're Snow White in real life. Um, Guys, she's a best selling author, a keynote speaker, a leader in the personal development space. Um, She has created the Gibson Integrated Attachment Theory, which we'll talk about, and she's the founder of the the personal development school.
1: Guys, welcome Thais Gibson. Thank you so much for having me. How I'm are excited you? to be here. I'm great. Uh, another Canadian.
0: Another I love Canadian. it. Canadian.
1: Yeah. It makes my
0: day whenever I'm whenever I meet another Canuck, <laughs> um, especially in America. Uh, so uh, Thais, every episode we ask our guests the first question, which is always single or in a relationship. In a
1: relationship. Oh. Yeah. Married. How, oh, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> the, the, the ultimate relationship. Um, uh, How long has it been? Um, I met my husband and we started dating. I think we're our, we're just about to start our ninth year together. Whoa. Yeah. It's been a long time. Nine years married or no, nine years nine together? Nine years together. Wow. Yeah. How, yeah. how many years two married? Two years. A little over two years married. Whoa.
0: Yeah. Seven years before. That's yep. crazy. Yes.
1: I, was, I was the person who grew up and I was a fearful avoidant attachment style. And I was like... I'm not getting married. I'm not going down that path. And we met young, you know, we kind of grew up together, which was honestly so nice. It's something I'm really grateful for now. But um, yeah, that changed over time.
0: Our, our, but also you were a baby. I mean, yeah. you told me your age. I'm like, get out of here. You're a baby when you were, if it was seven years ago or, or nine, nine years, years ago that you guys yeah. started dating, like yeah. I'm glad 20s. you didn't yeah. want to just get married right yes. away. So <laughs> for sure. that's uh, that's healthy probably. Thank you. Um, But you know, you created something that is very interesting. Um, first, I want to ask about like, how did you start the personal development school? And then how did it lead to, to you know, your specific theory?
1: Yeah. So I grew up working a lot with clients in, in terms of their subconscious mind. So I ran a really busy client-based practice, went through sort of like a good part of the traditional psychology space. Um, started my practice very young and, um, and did it because I was like super passionate about what I was talking about. So I would just go and give free workshops to people. And people would come and be like, oh, do you see clients? So at a very young age, I was like working with clients one-to-one. And then soon after that, I had about a two-year wait list. And part of what I felt like was just really missing in the whole space of psychology was I I learned at one point, very much for my own journey of healing that your conscious mind can't outwill or overpower your subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was really meaningful because it meant, okay, so my conscious mind is, and I also learned it's responsible for three to 5% of your decisions, your beliefs, your emotions, your actions. So it was like, well, why is this whole like psychological model in the Western world based on like essentially treating the conscious mind? it's like, well, the power is in the subconscious mind. So why aren't people talking about that? So I really, I went and did a certification in hypnosis, NLP, really learned a lot about the subconscious mind as a whole and learned how change actually happens, how we like rewire, reprogram our brains and how we can get out of like rough patterns by understanding those principles, neuroplasticity, like all these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So I was really passionate about that. And I couldn't believe that people weren't like shouting that from the rooftops because it was a big part of how I healed and how I changed. And so Essentially, I was in a really busy client practice. I wasn't even working with people around attachment styles. I was working with people around different core wounds that they have based on, you know, specific traumas they went through, um, emotional regulation, nervous system regulation, learning their needs, learning how to communicate, all these different things. And, um, then I sort of revisited attachment theory and it was like, well, there's this whole theory about our attachment styles. It's very well researched, but nobody's talking about how to change your attachment style. Nobody's talking about, well, if you're insecurely attached, why, how do we recondition these things? We're not born with, you know, our our attachment styles Mm -hmm. or through conditioning over time. So why don't we learn how to recondition them so we can become secure? Like, wouldn't that be the goal? So I kind of found like, I think a niche, um, sort of by accident really, but, but I was interested in it. And then just had a really busy client practice, ran it for years and then was like, okay, you know, people, it was like two years waiting. People would email me with their frustrations, you know, different things. And I think there just wasn't enough information out there about how to really change if there's stuff that we're stuck Mm -hmm. on. So that led to me, um, packaging some stuff online saying, okay, I'm going to put some information on YouTube and then put some courses out. And, uh, it just grew very fast in a short period of time after that.
0: That's amazing. I mean, that just sometimes I always feel like, you know, it, it, we say this in relationships. but I also think it's in life. It's like when it's right, it's easy. You know, yes. like when you're doing the right thing, yes. it just like kind of falls into place. So I love hearing that. Uh, now, what exactly is integrated attachment theory?
1: And how did you exactly develop it? Okay, good question. I probably have a pretty long answer. That's okay. I like it. I want answers. So there's originally attachment theory. It's the work of John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. And essentially it's this idea that like every um, young child learns a set of rules for how to relate to other people, especially in love. And your primary attachment figure as a child is your caregiver or your parents. And as an adult, it's your romantic partner. Mm. And so essentially what happens is the rules that we learn about love, we project onto our romantic relationships as adults. And this means that if we have really healthy upbringing, then we're in the clear, like we're going to have a really easy time in dating and relationships. And that is one of four major attachment styles. So I think the first thing to note is that like every single person has an attachment style. And there's the securely attached style, which about two decades ago made up about 50% of the population. Now that's waning. It's down to about 30%. People are estimating.
0: Wow, fifty percent of people were secure. <laughs> that was twenty ah, years ago. The feeling they're lying. About I know. That maybe it was cause, self-reporting. Cause it it kinda, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of feel like I'm like there's a lot of fucked up people, and I feel like they came from their
1: parents. Um, but yes. So so securely attached people. Like, I I agree. I think people. One thing I would see on that note, just quickly, is in my practice. I would talk to people about attachment styles before before we ever like developed a quiz or anything like that. And I would say, these are the different four attachment styles. Which one resonates with you? Which one do you think you are? And people would say like, oh, I'm secure. And then I'd get to know them like a couple sessions later. And I'm like, this person's not securely attached. So I think we maybe think the best in ourselves or sort of have that relationship to it sometimes. So secure attachment, essentially how they get conditioned is they grew up in a household where there's a lot of approach-oriented behaviors. So if the child cries, parents go towards the child. They check in with the child. They make sure that the child feels attuned to. They tend to be more present with the child. And actually, as a result, a child gets programmed to think, okay, my emotions are worthy of being expressed because when they do get expressed, it's positively reinforced. Mm -hmm. Children, as they go on throughout their childhood, they're essentially encouraged to negotiate their needs. So, if a child says, like, hey, I want candy, it's 11 p.m., it doesn't mean give the child candy at 11 p.m., but it does mean go to the child and say, honey, I know you want candy. I understand you want candy. I see that, but your stomach's gonna hurt. You're not gonna sleep well. You know, it's time for bed. If you eat dinner tomorrow, you can have a little bit of candy after dinner tomorrow. It's, it's about like teaching that your needs are heard, they're worthy of being expressed, they're being honored, they're being negotiated. And so, children growing up in a secure household learn that. I can communicate my needs. That's positively reinforced. I'm worthy of being seen and heard Mm -hmm. by other people. I'm worthy of expressing emotion. I can trust people. I can rely on people. So there's all of this healthy programming, securely attached people learn. And obviously that benefits them in relationships. So statistically, they do the best in relationships. Then you have three insecurely attached styles. And I'm sure everybody will sort of hear their style in Which
0: here. is 98% <laughs> of the population. I don't care who is saying that this is 30%. I'm like, you're all our liars or unaware. Okay.
1: <laughs> so we have sort of like on one, con- one end of the continuum, the anxious attachment style. And anxiously attached individuals, they usually grew up in a household where there's a lot of like real or perceived abandonment. So it could be that a parent leaves, doesn't come back. Um, Or it could be that there is like really warm caregivers, really loving caregivers, but they work a lot. Mm. So there's this kind of, you know, how we get programmed at a very simplistic level is through repetition and emotion. That's what fires and wires neural pathways essentially. So... If you're in an experience where you keep having love, but it's taken away because maybe you're left with your grandparents all the time Mm -hmm. or your parents are busy, it's like it's this perceived abandonment repetitively taking place. Mm -hmm. So it's leveraging these principles of programming, repetition, and emotion, and it's conditioning this individual to have this like fear of abandonment, Mm -hmm. fear of love leaving or being taken. So anxiously attached individuals essentially grow up and they are terrified of abandonment. They tend to really want to move things in relationships very quickly. They tend to be really afraid of being left or excluded or disliked or rejected, those are the big sensitivities. And unfortunately, because we're trying to hold on so tight, often it's like sort of sand slipping through your fingers that often accidentally pushes people away.
0: Could it also make people angry? You think like the ones who who do feel that kind of sense of abandonment, I feel like I've seen that in some friends who've had, who grew up with their grandparent, actually, mm-hmm. and they have this very like antagonistic relationship with their parents now. Mm-hmm. Even though the parents never left them, it was just that they were working a lot, but they have this like anger towards yes. them um, and like a resentment, basically. Yes,
1: you could definitely see that for sure. Um, there's it may be so there, it could be also a fearful avoidant attachment style a little mm. more likely I would say that anxiously attached individuals have kind of like small anger issues like resentment, frustration. They can be a little critical, kind of make some like passive aggressive remarks, but generally they're more people pleasing. Uh,
0: they're the clingers. Yes. Stage the five clingers, clingers <laughs> is what we would call
1: anxious They're atta- lovely people. They are. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. They we're not judging, but they we're are just so calling sweet, a space. But absolutely, they're the clingy ones in relationships. Yeah. And they're the ones that are so afraid of, they're having a trauma response when when they're afraid of being left, right? They're having this like stored emotional experience mm-hmm. that comes up. So they may have like a little bit of anger, but really the angrier ones tend to be the fearful avoidance. We'll come back to that yeah, one at the yeah. end because it's the most complicated. Um, basically at the end, the other end of the continuum is a dismissive avoidant. They're like the opposite. They grow up with a lot of childhood emotional neglect. That's very pervasive and very, um, it, it's it's always there, right? Mm-hmm. So they essentially learn, okay, well, children are wired for attunement. They're biologically wired for connection, for presence, for attention. And when they don't get that, a child can't look at their parents and say, oh, my parents are emotionally unavailable. They can't conceive of that yet. So instead they go, okay, well, my parents, they don't give me this connection that I'm aching for, that I'm yearning for. There must be something wrong with me that I can't get my needs met. So they internalize all their emotion. They definitely think the emotional part of themselves is negative. Oftentimes it's combined with messaging like, oh, don't be a crybaby, man up children should be seen and not heard. Like you might hear that kind of messaging. Yeah. Their household is usually quite stable. Sometimes there can be like really extreme overt mm-hmm. neglect, but a lot of times it's like covert neglect. Like it kind of flies under the radar. A lot of dismissive avoidance as adults will be like, I had the perfect childhood. But meanwhile, there's like this huge component missing. So what happens is like their subconscious associations become, okay, so then, you know, when I get close and I'm, I'm vulnerable and I need somebody, I can't rely on them anyway. So why would I bother bonding or attaching like that? So we'll often see dismissive avoidance attachment styles, they will get into relationship, date somebody, have a nice time. And then as soon as there's too much vulnerability, they're scared to ever feel like they felt as a child. They're scared to rely, to feel so vulnerable, to feel weak in their own emotions. And so they reject a person as basically a subconscious strategy to reject that part of themselves that's not ready to open up. So dismissive avoidance are the usually commitment fearing ones. They are... Um, you know,
0: (laughs) you guys can't see it. I'm putting my hand up as the former commitment. (laughs) So that's when you resonate with the most. I did. Yeah. I've worked through my stuff a lot, but I, uh, that was me for sure.
1: Yeah. hundred thousand
0: percent. I, yeah, my parents, like I didn't have an uh, unstable house, but yeah, Mm -hmm. like definitely, uh, I mean they they had a dysfunctional relationship but I always say like my parents weren't able to necessarily meet me on an emotional level yeah. um and uh and and uh, you know a lot of their way later in life was like well I'll give you money and I'm like I'm not looking uh, for money I just yeah. want you to say I'm good
1: yeah. <laughs> something. you know what I mean like I need that reinforcement yeah, I mean, or validation it was even something
0: simple like my dad never called me beautiful he never said that I was good because yeah. he was like I don't want you to get a big head So their whole thing in Indian culture was like humility, humility, humility. But in doing that, it made me yearn for that because you were Extremely humble. Like then I wouldn't, then I shrank. Then I wouldn't get seen. And I was, you know, especially in workplace settings, I've had something I still work through a lot. I have to be like, okay, I could stand here and, uh, you know, own my ground. But it took a lot of work to like get there because then, yeah. And then when I was in relationships, I was like, great, I want to be in a relationship. And then the second, like it came to talking about something, I was like, let's not. And I would like talk about it like two weeks later and make it a joke. Yep. And then the person was like, what the fuck? I had no idea yep. Yep. any of this was on your mind. And yep. I was like, God, oh, I mean,
1: it's fine. I, it's fine. <laughs> we're over it. Like moving on. But it wasn't. That's very, know? that's very well described for the dismissal yeah. avoidance patterns. And and part of it is like dismissal avoidance usually don't get a lot of healthy modeling for conflict. Yeah. Like you don't see, okay, here, we're going to learn to hash things out together. We're going to talk things through. So it just feels like, okay, I feel this emotion. I don't want to feel this emotion. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to park it over here. Yep. I'm going to stay really far away from it. And then. I'm going to talk about it or revisit it when it doesn't feel strong anymore. But then usually you don't get like properly heard or understood, or it feels hard to rely on people. One thing that dismissive avoidance feel a lot is they feel misunderstood, unseen, unheard. And oftentimes it's because like, historically, I'm sure you probably can can relate to this. You don't see and hear your own emotions enough, yeah. so you can express them to other people. And so it creates this kind of like, sometimes you can feel like you're kind of like, on the outside looking in because, you, you know, you can, you, you sort of feel like pressure to be there for everybody else. But like, hey, what about your experience? What about your emotions? And and it's so easy to just kind of withdraw and, and sort of play small and yeah. Do you feel that more people are this uh, like attachment style? Because I feel like a
0: lot of, especially women that I, that I talk to and through the podcast and, you know, having come out of that stage myself, I think a lot of us, uh, especially you, you've been hurt in relationships, yep. which we don't realize is rooted in in a lot childhood of these childhood relationships, relationships. Mm-hmm. and then when that when we recreated in adult relationships, we become even more jaded. Absolutely. So then you you go from like hopeful to full jade, and <laughs> right, and like, and then I've done that too. Like yep. it took me I a long to, time. I, I hated men. I was like, I don't need anybody. Yeah. I wouldn't let anybody do a th- damn thing for me. Yeah. Um. You know, I remember one nice guy. Uh. I had come out of an abusive relationship and and he was just trying to help me by talking to me. And I was like, I don't need your help. I was like, boo-boo, I'm not trying to talk to you about yeah. any of this. And it was just like, because I didn't want to open myself up. I didn't yeah. want to be vulnerable. I didn't want help. And it took me a long time to like get to a point where I was like, oh, like now with my uh, partner, uh, I'm just like here's my bag here open the door here's whatever I'm like I'm like I know I can do it I'm like but well, you can do it like it's great like it's you nice want to rely you wanna pick on stuff someone. up like great pick it up here's here's my suitcase you know um yep. and yeah and it's exactly that like you you learn to
1: feel safer um relying oh, no. on people but I feel yeah. like that's a lot of People, So it's actually statistically women are more anxious, but women are also afraid to like women. It's funny because people think the anxious preoccupied person's this like super available person. And to some degree they are like, they'll definitely share way more and be more vulnerable yeah. and express more, but they also are constantly people pleasing. So like if we're people pleasing all the time, there's a mask of yeah. unavailability. And so statistically more females are um, anxious, preoccupied than dismissive avoidant, then fearful avoidance, mm-hmm. which is the last one, but dismissive avoidance um, you know, they tend to do really well in their careers. I was they tend just to be about there. That. So yeah. that's what I was going to add. I said, "Oh, maybe it's
0: like more alpha women or women who, you know, statistically, I hate, I hate this term, but like sort of in the dating space, it's always like the smart, successful woman." A
1: lot of times um, are dismissive, you know. avoidant, because you, you, where you sort of shut down um, emotionally, you'll spend your time mentally and intellectually, and so a lot of dismissal avoidant women will be very intelligent, very, mm-hmm. um, very like. Um, very conscientious, like really think things through because you're usually so good at sort of Removing yourself from situations yeah. emotionally, even if you're feeling certain things, you are good at just like kind of holding it down, oh, yeah. and so you 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 more easily don't react too much. I mean, there yeah. can be benefits to to that. Absolutely, I'm great at poker. Yeah, I bet that <laughs> because of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so one other thing, and I'm, I I don't know if this is too vulnerable to ask you. No, but, please, nothing. But is. one other thing that's often there. For dismissive avoidance, is they usually will never show it because they can be very stoic, but they usually have um, a very big sensitivity to criticism. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And and it's often because as a child, it's like that thing, right? Okay, well, there must be something wrong with me that I can't get my needs met. And so there'll be this kind of like, I don't want people to fully see me or to fully know me or to, you know, see too much about me because then they'll see deep down something's wrong. And it's like all just programming. It's not the truth at all. And it can be something so valuable for dismissal avoidance to work through. And I'm sure it's been part of your journey in some way because it's like when you can stop, my, my husband was dismissive when I met him. And mm. and I, I he would never show it at the beginning. And then I realized over time, like if I say the tiniest thing, sometimes he like kind of takes it to heart. And we had that's, to like kind of talk that that's out. That's me and my partner, for yeah. sure. Where, where it's like, uh, I
0: think also when you are, when you have grown up in environments that, like for me, I was criticized by my family a lot, mm. right? And yeah. part of it is, I, I don't know about others. I've never—I don't like to admit it, but I'm a very sensitive person. Yeah, For yeah. somebody who everybody goes like, Oh, Tasha's so, so unemotional. Tash. She's yeah. so like, yeah, it's like I, I'm like a dude, you know, all that stuff. But I'm actually very, very sensitive. So yeah. to me, it's like the way you say something— matters. Yeah. And sometimes like my, you know, my partner and I, one of the things we work through is like, he is very direct. So he'll just, you know, especially I'm a stand up. Yeah. So he'll come up to she shows and, and sometimes you- he's just like, I mean, that bit wasn't funny. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> like, and then I'm like fucking livid, you yeah, know, yeah. because I'm like, the fuck, do you, are you just saying I'm not funny? And he's like, no, I didn't say you're not funny. I said the bit's not funny. And I was like, don't fucking say that. Like, don't say it like that. Yep, and then, absolutely. you know, and he's had to learn that like, oh, that's not the way. Because he's not yes. saying it in, a, in and a, a... He doesn't mean anything No, badly nothing by it, at all. He's yeah. just trying to say or like, maybe he thinks give me feedback. feedback. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's just going sure. like, oh, but that bit. And I'm like, well, no, just uh, unless you have some fucking... <laughs> Was specific thing <laughs> unless that you didn't want work. to sleep yeah. on the couch, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like fucking, like, don't say that. And so, like, we've had to learn how he says something, just so, just because I know it's me. It has nothing to do with him. It is my perception of it and so uh but it is it's very rooted in the way like my dad used to speak to me you know which is very like attacking me for nothing like it was like you're the problem you are like this you're da 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 so I grew up with so much criticism that I'm like I've had to work to build myself up so much that I'm like don't fucking yeah. Say shit like that. But I also said, like, my mom, conversely, was the greatest. Like, she is the greatest. Um, and she always said, like, she criticized me, but in a very gentle way. Yeah. She'd be like, yeah. you know, I mean, instead of doing it like this, maybe try you want to try way. it like this? Because, you know, this could happen. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, and you can why the fuck that. didn't
1: somebody just say that to me? <laughs> you know? But it's so nice because… Like, I love hearing people's journeys to doing the work because it's like, you are going for, like part of what dismissal wounds have to heal to become secure is the ability to be vulnerable and to share what hurts, right? To say, ouch, this hurts because you didn't really have that voice as a child. And so to be able to, with your partner now say, hey, this didn't feel good for me, I don't receive it that way. Like you have to try a different yeah. way and to be working through that together is also like you being able to have support and yeah. being able to like share so that you can rely on somebody and open up and, you know, so it's it's cool. Like one of the, the things, and I still have to tell you the, the last attachment yeah, yeah. style in a second, but one of the things um, that is so beautiful is that usually exactly what you need to do to heal and become secure, um, in a relationship just also happens to be the exact work that you need to do in the relationship to self. So it's almost like people will show you, we were talking about Rumi. There's like a really great Rumi quote. And he says, um, if I'm irritated by every rub, how will I ever be polished? And I love that. It's like all these things that bother you, that irritate you, that get under your skin, they're there for you. Like they're Mm -hmm. there to show you to yourself. And so when, when we allow those like triggers or frustrations in our relationships to be a mirror into ourselves, then it's like, oh, we can do something with them and we can heal as an individual, but also collectively with somebody else.
0: Yeah, no, it's very true. And I I think, like you said, uh, for me, I think I've been lucky to have some awareness and the awareness, I don't know what it is for others, but I'm naturally, here's what I was gonna say. I might not be aware if I weren't such an emotional person yeah. on yeah. the inside. So while there's like a surface level person of, that I am that that wants to hide and have the facade and be like, she's put together and she's strong and she's got all of it, you know, all of that. There's this part of me that's very subconscious that just cries at everything. Yeah, and yeah. so when I cry, I'm like, oh, something got to me. Yes. Something somebody yeah. said got Touch to me. Yeah. And like, you know, anytime like we'll we'll talk and, and again when the stand-up thing happened, I remember um I actually didn't yell at him. I cried. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. You that's know, healthy. and then I realized I was like, oh, it's because what you said hurt me. And then I got a little angry about it. And then I came to like, oh, this is what I think hurt me. And I was like, and I think it just needs to be rephrased because my brain is processing it as, you're not funny. And then I'm like, why am I doing anything?
1: But it's not that. So, absolutely. And it's funny, so, like underneath that, so so, a lot of the work I would do with people is that we have a core wound. so, like yeah. underneath, it's not just "I'm not funny, but usually underneath that, it's like, "I'm not enough or I'm not worthy." or and there's usually something like really yeah. rooted there and And again, it's like when those things touch us, it's like, oh, I have a wound there and it's something to be able to work through as, as I need to. But I like that you're able to see that and and sort of move through that. Can I ask you another question? So so just out of curiosity for anybody who's listening, who might be a dismissive avoidant as you were more open and shared more and like brought things up, did you also find that your fear of commitment changed a little bit? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's nice for people to hear
0: that. Yeah, 100%. That's it's a great thing. I, I I might not have been aware of that transition, but you're right. When I when I started doing the work and I got more comfortable with myself and I became aware and conscious of why I was doing what I was doing, I started realizing I'll be okay. That was a big shift for me where before I've often talked about it that in a if a relationship ended, there used to be a fear of I'm going to die alone. You know, uh, like, yeah. I think a lot of people have that. And then, uh, or what's going to happen to me because I am so emotional deeply on the yeah, inside. Yeah. And you just don't want to feel like that. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and when I realized like, oh, if a relationship ends, I'll still be okay. Yeah, yeah. That just gave me a sense of peace and security and groundedness. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, now this stuff doesn't scare me. Yes. Yeah. but you know now you just want to make better choices around it but the actual thing itself doesn't scare me as much yeah um yeah, for sure some parts of it do sometimes
1: but uh but but not you know, in the way that it used to. So when we first started talking, I thought you were going to be a fearful avoidant. So really? I'm, yeah, yeah. I was, I was interested to hear, and I wonder. Okay, so I'll tell you about the last yeah, attachment, right, all the right, fearful right. one, and I'm curious if that is your, if you have parts of that, or if you experience parts of that too.
0: Hey friends, it's your girl Natasha Chandale and I've got some really cool news to share. I'm finally offering one-on-one virtual dating coaching. That's right. You've been sliding in my DMs for years, but. Let's finally chat face-to-face or Zoom-to-Zoom. If you're in a dating rut, let's get you out. I'm the friend you never had and the honest dating coach you need. Whether you're in a relationship or looking for one, I'm here to talk through your problem, provide personalized guidance, and find a solution. For all you loyal listeners, you know that I had a string of unhealthy relationships. After escaping an abusive one, I decided to take accountability for my love life healed myself, and put myself on a path to dating success. I am now in a happy, healthy relationship and want to help empower you in your dating journey too. I want to get you to an empowered state where you're making dating decisions from a positive, secure place. So when the stars align and you meet that right person, you're ready to welcome them. My approach is honest, practical, because I've actually dated in the modern landscape, optimistic, and I tend to go deep. And as a woman of color and an immigrant, I understand the nuances of many cultures. And with my background as a comedian, we'll probably have some laughs along the way. If you're ready to take control of your dating life, let's chat. Go to our new website, www.kindadating.com services for 50% off your first introductory session. That's right. 50% off your first introductory dating coaching session. Go to www.kindadating.com services and book your dating coaching session with me today. Talk soon. Okay, so the last one, which you thought I was, is?
1: A fearful avoidant. Okay. So that's what I was. Uh, So fearful avoidants grow up usually in a little, so you said you had a pretty stable family, which would pretty much like at that point kind of stable, unstable. I don't know what you call
0: it. Like my parents were together, but they probably shouldn't have been together. Interesting.
1: Yeah. But they were together. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll tell you a little bit about this and see what sort of comes up. So, so, um, they, uh, fearful avoidant attachments all comes about because there's a lot of chaos basically so it can be that there's a lot of fighting all the time people are not getting along it can be that um, one really obvious example for a lot of people is let's say one parent's an alcoholic let's just say for argument's sake Mm -hmm. it's somebody's mother you know, it would sort of be like one day the child comes home, mom's drinking and she's in a really great mood. She's extra nice, extra loving. The next day mom, the child comes home, mom's drinking and she's angry. She's an angry drunk today. And then another day mom's sobering up and she's in a good mood. She feels guilty. She's being kind. Another day mom's sobering up, she's going through withdrawal. She's like, you can't talk to her. So there would be this element of like everything is forever changing and you never know how to attach to somebody because they are changing so much. And so- this could be, you know, from my experience, my parents just fought like cats and dogs all the time. And so it was like, you know, I'm always walking on eggshells, like never know what to expect, waiting for the other shoe to drop, like lots of arguments in my household. So I grew up being like, and this is the the sort of essence of fearful avoidant is I have really nice experiences with love sometimes and connection and other times really scary experiences or really hard experiences. So you start to build these conflicting ideas about care and about connection and about relationships. And what this does is for a person, and this is definitely my experience, is you internalize it. And and it's sort of like you want closeness, you yearn for it. But as soon as people get too close, it's like, come get close, come get close. Oh, you're close. Okay, get back. And it's like the pendulum's always swinging. And I can remember going through early relationships before I knew anything about attachment cells. And I would flip flop so much in my head. One day I'd be like, I love this person. They're so amazing. Three hours later, I'd be like, I shouldn't be with them. Like I should, <laughs> I should get out of here. And so you have these like really like back and forth, hot and cold, conflicting ideas going on all the time. And like people I dated in the past would be like, I cannot figure out like, what do you want? Like, you're pushing me away. You're pulling me close. And so you actually have like kind of the abandonment wounds that are there, the mm-hmm. fear of abandonment, but you also have the fear of closeness and a lot of fearful avoidance. And this is why I thought you were maybe going to be fearful avoidance. Is fearful avoidance learn to be like quite um, good with people. They, they tend to make good first impressions. They tend to be like kind of charming or charismatic because they are, they figure people out. They tend to be, and also what I've noticed, and there's no research to back this up yet. I haven't done it or polled anybody, but um, you were an INTJ and Um, that's pattern finding and reading between Mm -hmm. the lines a lot. And usually, a lot of that comes from having to read between the lines a lot to figure things out. It's interesting.
0: Like, I mean, when you're saying it, like, I kind of see myself as both. Yeah. Because my family was very chaotic. It was that one day they were fine. And I I do have a lot of um, PTSD. I don't like loud noises. I don't like Mm -hmm. um, any any kind of like crashing or whatever because Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, one day I remember… My parents are fine. They stopped talking for four months over a fight over salt. Yeah. And they yeah. just didn't speak yes. for four months yeah. in the same house. And then me as a kid would feel being that told, and you pick up on No, them. I was the one being told to go like, hey, go tell to go tell your mom I uh, uh my mom would be like, Tell your dad I want to go get groceries. And what is your he's like, Tell your mother, I don't give a fuck about groceries. I'm not gonna go get the groceries, and blah, blah, blah. and then but I'm not translating their message the way they're saying. I'm actually translating it in a way that they could receive it. So when my mom would say, she'd be like, you better tell your dad that I need to go blah, blah, blah. And then I would go, so daddy, um, mom says, do you think like maybe you might have some time around here to go get whatever? And then he'd be like, Tell your mother that I don't want to do blah, blah, blah. Then I'd be like,
1: he says he can't right now, but maybe later <laughs> in the day. You know, but yeah, like, I'm yeah. just... You're the middle, the, yeah. the pawn a little bit. And that could be a, a big way fearful wing comes about. Yeah. Well, How you'll know which one you are. So we all have like a leaning, right? So you can be like secure with some anxious side yeah. too. You can be... um. But how you'll know is like what the dominant theme was. So if the dominant theme was like more neglect and kind of criticism, and if you saw dominantly in your life as an adult that like you just wanted to keep people away, maybe you'd still have that like want connection because everybody yearns for connection on some level. We're wired for it. Yeah. But fearful you're tend to have really intense relationships that move very fast. They tend to go all in very quickly. Then they tend to, you know, flip-flop a lot back and forth. Um, they tend to be really good at reading people, like extremely attuned and adept at like reading between the lines. or very hypervigilant. Dismissive avoidance are more like they are dominantly avoidant. So like they're dominantly like usually you'll see to a DA when you meet somebody. And this is where I was wondering when you were saying it, because I was like, oh, maybe you just did all the work to become secure. FAs when you meet them, fearful avoidance, they're very warm. They're very likable. They, they, they are attuned yeah. to people. You can feel that they're present. Um, dismissive avoidance, you can feel the distance. You can feel that there's like a wall that's invisible and they're very slow to warm up. They, well, you can feel the guardedness a little mm-hmm. bit. If you, I don't know if you know somebody who you can I think do. of. I do. And you can sense it. And so that's why I was surprised when I was like, oh, okay. But but you can also be fearful when leaning dismissive if you were more committed yeah, fearing I'm in your relationship.
0: Because I feel like I've gone through a lot of the phases for sure. I think yeah. there was a time in my life I was very, the, the like, real Stay avoidant yeah. type of person, yeah. especially to men. Yes. I don't think I've ever really been like that with women because women didn't let me down. Yeah. You know, yeah. men are the ones that I was like, get the fuck away yeah. from me. And I had um, guy friends tell me that. They're like, oh man, during that time, you were a fucking raving bitch, you know? Because <laughs> I just was like, get the fuck away. Like, I don't need you and yeah. just back off, you yeah. know? Yeah. And and that's not even relationships. It could even been a male friend. I yeah. just didn't like it. And, uh, but then I've definitely also gone through the, like, I've I've been in very tumultuous relationships yeah, yeah. and kind of, I moved in with somebody three and a half months into dating. Like, what the fuck was I thinking, you know? <laughs> but that's very, um, fear- that could be a yeah, fearful avoidant yeah. thing for sure. And uh, so I can kind of see myself as both. But, but now I hope, I hope, uh, knock on wood. Um, much more secure. Much more secure. Yeah. I think I've... Um, done a lot of the work and, but, but again, I always think, and I don't know, you tell me is like, I feel like there's always a little part of that there. Um, so I know sometimes if, if an emotion gets too high for me, I do want to run. Yeah. And then I'm like, no, you're okay. Yeah, yeah. And now where, you know, the gap used to be two weeks to approach a problem. Now it might be a few hours.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, but
0: I still need the few the hours. space, yeah, where where yeah. he likes to talk right away. I'm like, please just like I need oh, that time to process, process. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I'll come back. But now it's not two weeks. Now it's just like in two hours, yeah, or a few hours. I can be like, okay, okay, I can ready to talk about this, and this is what I feel.
1: Yeah. And did you ever find that you were um, there? Like, did you ever have an experience where you felt more anxious in a relationship? Because fearful avoidance will have usually experiences of go- kind of going both ways where they'll chase sometimes. Sometimes they're more avoidant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whereas this was, okay. So you're probably F.A. with like leaning D.A. is probably what I, you would say. I in. mean, the people, you know, historically. Sadly, yeah, sadly, exactly
0: yeah. Listeners know of the, the there was a very toxic on-off relationship with this guy. Um, and it was on off for like a year or something and so i just look back i'm like what the fuck was wrong with me i felt like i was obsessed with him yeah, and yeah. and uh not that i was like reaching out or doing anything but you're constantly thinking about yeah, this person yeah. and and when they contact you you're like oh okay like yeah. you know where uh you are just like what the fuck yeah, you know yeah, so yeah. i i can definitely but that was that's a very rare example for me usually yeah. i haven't been like And I always just say, I think I just really wanted to fuck him badly Um, and he wouldn't fuck me. And so I was just like obsessed with trying to get him to fuck me Um, and kind of caught feelings along
1: the way. And I was like, fuck, why is he not? Or there's, have you ever heard of Limerence? No, it's okay, that. Okay, so limerence is like, like addictive infatuation. Like oh, it's a yeah. very real thing. And it usually happens when people represent one of two things. And it can be a combination of both. If somebody is expressing traits that you've repressed. So like if somebody like, let's say as a kid, you couldn't be assertive or have boundaries just for argument's sake, because you got punished or in trouble or you couldn't speak up. And then let's say somebody comes along and they're very assertive. We actually have this like biological wiring for trait variety, like actually biological. Um, Like if people pair up years and years ago and somebody's strong and somebody's smart, they survive better. So sometimes when people have really opposing traits, we're actually subconsciously trying to attach to them because we're trying to attach to their traits because they're like kind of lost within us. And then the other one that really gets people is if somebody meets a deeply unmet need from childhood. So a, a really common one is like, if you felt really unseen as a kid and people weren't present enough with you and then somebody comes in and they really see you, they really talk to you. They really like notice things that you're doing. They really speak into like, oh, I noticed this and this about you. Like people can just like get such strong feelings because we're yearning for this. Like, oh my gosh, I've been aching for that since a kid, since I was a child, but I didn't know. And so we like hunger for these mm. things. That usually the actual healing of that is in the relationship to self to give these things to us. Ah,
0: I mean, in hindsight, when I the, the first one that kind of got to me was was like, I think he had qualities that I just found really attractive that mm. I probably. Would wanted like I just he was very like um, you know it's like that sadly that typical cliche bad boys story you know where he was like very confident and and very assertive and just didn't give a fuck and like there's something sexy about somebody who doesn't give a fuck as someone who gives a fuck about everything, you know? Yeah. Um, as someone who, like, overthinks <laughs> to death. Totally. i like, yeah. wow, like, this motherfucker doesn't care, care about anything. And yeah. yeah. And, and then he was an attractive guy. So, at some point, there was a little bit of, like, well, he's hot. The actual attraction <laughs> part, yeah. yeah and, um, but I do remember I became obsessed with the fact that he wasn't— he wouldn't have sex with me. And then yeah. I was like, what the fuck, aren't you having and sex with me? And that could me? be, like,
1: a need, right? It could yeah. be this need. Like, obviously, there's, like, the—we have sexual needs. But even beyond that, it could be a need to, like— like sometimes underneath that's like validation or yeah, sometimes yeah. underneath that is like affirmation yes, and some kind 100%. of more there's and a if you're part used of you that's it, like yeah.
0: one it kind of felt like a challenge two it felt yeah. like rejection you know you were like excuse me yeah. like like <laughs> everybody wants to have sex with me so why would <laughs> you not like? want yeah. to um and then you just sadly become like you know you allow but, but he, but he wasn't a, he didn't yeah. treat me well it was a it was a shit relationship yeah. very yeah. toxic but you just you do get addicted. That's yeah. what I felt. I felt addicted yeah. to it, and um, and I had to like
1: cut it you know, because, cut and it. that's usually yeah. like limerence when you feel yeah. like consciously your mind's like, no, I know better. This isn't the right person. Why am I yeah. doing this? And then yet you like can't stop mm-hmm. thinking and feeling about it. It usually falls like into that category. And
0: but like again, now I'm. I hope. Uh, it was funny. I was just telling my partner that that person, toxic relationship guy, who sadly um, people know here is Bruce Lee. He, uh, <laughs> because he used to be like this black belt, whatever. Uh, <laughs> under uh, sun,
1: whatever. I totally wonder if he like listens in here sometimes. He probably does because he's sadly obsessed with me. He just
0: emailed me the other day. No and, okay. and like once a year, I get some text or some email or something. It was actually usually text. And this is the first time I got an email. And I was oh, like, what the fuck is this? And like, but again, old me, might have been like, whoa, what? But I just didn't give a fuck. I, I screenshotted. I sent as a joke to my friends. I said, oh my God, look. And, uh, and actually like four exes in the last like two weeks reached out to me because this happened. Um, congratulations. (laughs) I keep saying partner. I didn't realize. Yeah, just happened. So, so it was like weird that all these people suddenly reached out and, and again, maybe old me might have, um, even entertain the idea of just saying hi back or something. Yeah, yeah. I just was like, I'm, good for good. You. I'm in a really good spot. I was like, mm-hmm. wish
1: you well. I just feel nothing. I was like, good for moving you. on. Uh, and that's a good sign. So usually, what that means is like, if somebody's in that space their needs are being really met in the relationship now and in relationship to self and those traits that were so attractive, often you've integrated more into yourself in the process. Like if things that used to bring you limerence like don't anymore, usually what that represents for people is that they did that like inner work to get to the other side.
0: Oh, I love it. Well, I hope you're right. (laughs) But with the the fearful attachment too, like do you think...
1: So you said this is where maybe some of that anger stuff comes in? like yes. Fearful avoidance struggle with anger. So I know I nobody would believe this, but I was an angry kid. What? Like, yeah, I know, I know. No <laughs> like, way. No you like the sweetest. I was like, so I want to hug angry. you. I, people, just- I think I scared people as a kid for sure. And definitely my family. Definitely my parents. Definitely. I, I never, I will say I never, I always got along with women. I never like had big fights with friends growing up. But similar to you, I had these big, like, um, I cannot, all men are liars, cheaters, all men are bad, all men are, you know. And so I was angry in relationships and I was angry, like road rage, angry, angry at my family, angry at like all these things I hadn't forgiven. I was sort of like the pawn a little bit back and forth too. And I really resented that and held on to that. And so that was something I worked on. Like I, it's funny, I got in trouble a lot as a kid. And then I kind of was in the space of like, okay, why am I so angry? Because it's actually like ruining relationships. I push people away over it. I actually had to like truly sit and work on that. And it's funny because like you like research stuff online and it's like, count to 10, hold your breath, like all this crap. And you're like, why is this here? And um, when I learned about anger, which was so beneficial for me is like, people, and I saw this over and over again with clients afterwards, it's like people who struggle with anger issues first struggle with boundary issues, Mm -hmm. struggle with feeling unseen and unheard because they don't express themselves and they feel powerless. And so what happens is because you're not sharing and communicating, you're not expressing yourself. And then you take everything on and you're boundaryless. You hold it in, you hold it in, you hold it Mm -hmm. in, you get so mad, it pops off. And then (sighs) exactly. And so I, that was like a big part of my journey was like, okay, I have to be able to not just work through different wounds I'm carrying and learn my needs, but I actually have to be able to, to have boundaries, express myself, like do this work, even though it terrified me to to share my needs with other people. Um, But it was really beneficial long-term. And it was funny, as soon as I dealt with root cause, that anger wasn't like a big theme in my life any longer.
0: Kind of daters, are you a catch but not getting any matches on your dating app profile? then Profile Booster is perfect for you. It's a brand new service offered by Kinda Dating to optimize your dating app profile so you can reflect the best version of yourself online and get the matches you deserve. With sometimes five pictures and three prompts, it's hard to showcase your full self. You'll be working with me, Natasha Chandel, a dating expert and professional screenwriter, and Luis Miranda, a veteran brand strategist with a track record of success. Oh. And we're a real-life couple. After a string of our own failed relationships and shitty dates, Luis and I individually decided to get more intentional about our love lives. We crafted dating app profiles that stood out, were memorable, and were authentically us. We matched on a dating app just three weeks before the pandemic lockdown and recently celebrated our three-year anniversary this year. Since then, we've successfully helped friends do the same and now want to help you We'll customize a plan just for you so you can showcase your authentic voice and image to attract the right match for you. Ready to boost your love life? Profile Booster is available now at an incredibly affordable price. Visit www.kindadating.com services and let's transform your dating profile and get you more matches. Today, yeah, it's so it's so fascinating because I remember when I first first started therapy, um, I had a psycho <laughs> psychoanalyst, and um, she broke down. You know, she broke down emotions in four categories, and basically, she was like, "You're really good on all these other ones. Like, you have no anger." And I was <gasps> okay, like, "That's huh?
1: very da," and,
0: but that's it was it was like I was anger. repressing totally. yeah. the yeah. shit. But that was during that avoidant phase yeah. that I was going through when everybody was like, mm. "Yeah," I just was like. I don't feel it. Yeah. Then I definitely went the other way. Yeah. And when I finally let it out, it was like too much. And yeah, then I was yeah. like really angry. And then I had to kind of come somewhere De-centered. in between. But for me, I had to really learn that anger has a place, that that my anger was trying to tell me something 100%. where every time, you know, I don't know culture, like different cultures, but like in Indian culture, it's, it's a lot of like, you know, just don't be positive, be positive. Don't, don't be angry. And nobody teaches you that that's trying to tell you to set a boundary. Like somebody has crossed something with you. Yes. And especially women too, right? We're always just told like don't… Yeah. To not have outbursts. Just be nice. Yeah. Like boys can always have outbursts, but girls are always like put together and whatever. Mm -hmm. And and that really like became ingrained in me. Yeah. And even to this day, I… I have to learn to speak when I'm angry yep. or to like stop and go, okay, well, this is saying this and this means this, you yep. know? Yep. Um, like I, I process it a lot faster now, but but it's a process because it's not my first
1: stage or state to get angry. Yep. Yep. But honestly, I think that's amazing. Like one of the biggest things I believe in wholeheartedly is like your emotions are perfectly communicating to you all the time. Yeah. And I feel like it's really easy to be like, okay, I feel bad. I'm going to drink wine. I'm going to go on social media for five hours. I'm going to binge watch television. You know, there's all these things we need to avoid, but you lose the power in your emotions. Like your emotions are literally whatever it is. If you feel bad, if you look at like how we experience pain and suffering, pain is when we have an unmet need. So like if I, I love people. I love connecting to people. If you put me in a country where I don't speak the language and I go there, I'm going to get homesick. I will, I'll, I'll, until I meet new people and build relationships, I'll feel it, I'll, it'll sting. Mm-hmm. And that's good. That's a, that's telling me, hey, go pivot, adapt. Like this is how we survived as human beings. It's like we get feedback from yeah. physical pain, from emotional pain so that we can adapt, so that we can grow. And then we have suffering emotionally, which is the story we tell about the pain. So it's the moment I go, mm-hmm oh, I don't have any friends here because nobody likes me. Oh, I don't have any friends because I'm I'm just going to be alone forever. Mm -hmm. And then we have these like stories that we tell about our pain and that's where we have suffering. But it's like instead, if you can just see those things... As I don't feel good. Is it pain? Is it an unmet need? Is it suffering? Is it some story I'm telling myself? And we can change the story we're telling ourselves and how we're perceiving things, or we can go meet the unmet need. We can actually solve for our emotions, not by avoiding and repressing them, but by actually getting into relationship with them. I love that you're saying
0: that because you know, a lot of what I've been hearing lately, and I, I try to be mindful of the fact that I know I I used to be this person myself. So like I get it, but like now I can really very consciously hear it in other people. And so lately in like one week, I had three people tell me that, you know, they're not meeting somebody on dating apps because of the way they look. They believe that it's because, you know, they're in LA uh, and in LA, everybody likes a skinny girl and that they are not that. And so that's why they're not meeting somebody. And I had to I, I I was like, listen, I completely understand that uh, that, that, that hurts that, that, that you feel yeah. that way, and I had but... to like say like, you know, there are a lot of models who also say that yep. <laughs> they have really shitty dating lives, yep. and uh, and I said, and I know a lot of people who quote unquote might not be the conventional good looking that met partners and are married yes. from dating apps. I have really good friends who have. So I—but they were just like, nope, 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 nope. And I was just like, listen, I get it. I I'm, I'm understand that that's the story you want to tell yourself yep. right now. And that's fine. Yep. At some point, I, I didn't say that to them, but I was like, at some point, this will not serve you. And you will learn that something has to change. And if it's not going to be—you can't change other people— you, you can change hopefully yourself. change yeah. your story, right? At least 100%. And, um, and go maybe this isn't the avenue, but maybe there's something else. Or uh, how do you? sort
1: of deal with those core wounds? Because that is the crux of all of this. A hundred percent. So I love that analogy because it's it's so true. People will block themselves in the, their dating lives so much. With, like that story will never get you any closer to what you're looking for in the first place, right? Like mm-hmm. it just, you pigeonhole yourself into this place of just feeling worse, right? And so we have all these, I used to get clients, I'd be like, dump out your toxic dating story. Some of them were like, all men are bad, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them are like those things that I've carried, that you've carried, but we all have them until we work through them. And so um, so the core wounds, there, there are about 18 to 20 major core wounds. I won't go through uh-huh. all of them, but I'll go through like some, so people can sort of hear if they hear their own. Core wounds come from our experiences when we try to interpret the meaning of what's happening. So, the the subconscious mind is wired for certainty. It wants to give meaning to things because then it makes certainty out of it. So if you, for example, have critical parents, you go, oh, I'm not good enough or something's wrong with me, I'm defective. Or, you know, we have these like core wounds there. Um, Anxious preoccupied, their major ones are... I will be abandoned, right? That's the meaning they give to that that uncertainty, that push-pull. Um, I will be alone. I will be not good enough, rejected, um, unloved. Um, I am bad can be a big one mm-hmm. um, for anxious preoccupants, constantly trying to kind of like prove mm-hmm. their innocence or that they're a good person, hence the people-pleasing patterns. Um, and also excluded is a big core wound for anxious individuals, mm-hmm. like feeling excluded or disliked, rejected. So those are the big ones there. Dismissive avoidance tend to have... Um, I am unsafe, which is interesting, especially around conflict. Um, anxious can have that too when they're they're triggered, like feeling like I'm unsafe because somebody's going to abandon me. But we'll see. I am unsafe. I'm defective is a big one. I'm not good enough. I don't belong. Um, and then I am weak if I'm vulnerable is a big one. Um, I will be trapped helpless or powerless if I rely on other people. So those are the big DA kind of wounds. And then fearful avoidance basically have both sides of the wounding, honestly. Um, they also can share with DAs um, and I am disrespected core wound. But the biggest one for fearful avoidance, and this is like a good differentiator too, between DAs and FAs are um fearful avoidance also have this big betrayal fear, like constantly like mm-hmm. suspicious reading between the lines, catching the lies, right? <laughs> Never miss anything. <laughs> I, can, I will fucking
0: catch anything man
1: <laughs> And so you'll see, those are the big sort of core wounds. And what happens is like, you know, like I know for me, as an example, betrayal was such a big core when I was always like assuming betrayal or like kind of like assuming people were lying mm-hmm. about things, even if they weren't, like kind of jumping to conclusions a lot. And for me, it was, well, I saw a lot of dishonesty growing up. I saw a lot of broken promises. I saw a lot of things where it was a betrayal. And so I assumed this is how all people operate. So that's the the meaning of my mind mm-hmm. gave. I have been betrayed. I will always be betrayed. And so then what we do is as a means of trying to protect ourselves, we project these things Onto to people in our lives. Right. And so what we have to do is like the subconscious gets programmed through repetition plus emotion and we have to recondition it. So we have to find the opposite of our core wounds. I'll share a really quick tool. There's something called auto-suggestion and um, it's sort of like a form of belief reprogramming, but basically like we're not born with the beliefs. It's firing and wiring, right? Neuroplasticity. And so what we have to do is a lot of people talk about affirmations. I'm not an affirmations fan. I actually think it's kind of crap, to be quite honest, because your conscious mind speaks language, your subconscious does not. So a really clear example of this that I always share is if I were to say to you right now, please, whatever you do, do not think of the pink elephant. Like your brain pictures a pink elephant. That's your subconscious. Your conscious mind hears do not. Your subconscious doesn't hear language. Your subconscious speaks, your, the language of the subconscious is emotion and imagery. Mm-hmm. And so what we have to do when we're trying to like create new beliefs is first of all, neural pathways atrophy over time, kind of like muscle. So we have to first stop telling the old stories. But the second part is we want to oppose the story with the opposite and find 10 to 15 pieces of evidence. So the reason is that evidence is a memory and memory is a container of emotion and imagery. If you were to say, if I were to say, tell me your favorite childhood memory and close your eyes, you would sit there and you would start talking about it and you would smile a little and you would would see it in your mind's eye when you're telling it and you would feel the emotion that's still stored there. So we basically have to pick up memories or pieces of evidence that oppose the core wound. So if it's I am abandoned, I am connected. Here are the pieces of evidence for how I have connection in my life. This great friendship, this family relationship, this person who's always there for me when I need something. And when we can leverage that those memories and feel about them in our body, we're actually using our conscious mind to speak to our subconscious mind through emotion and imagery where the problem actually lies. So if we can do that 10, we can find 10 pieces of evidence per day. We don't have to rewrite it every day. We can just re relist- listen to it for 21 days. It takes about 21 days to really break those old beliefs. And it's like extraordinarily beneficial for people and extraordinarily freeing because... As somebody who's had a lot of core core wounds or, or painful beliefs, like they show up everywhere, right? They keep showing up everywhere. in your relationships. So
0: yeah, no, that's a, it's fascinating that you say that because I didn't realize that I had done that before. I you know before I had known what any of this stuff was. Um, I, I, we even did an episode on the podcast about it in the early days when I was kind of going through my my shift. I, I just basically I you know I called it like the dating narrative and, and mm-hmm. my narrative was the the guys are all dicks. And then uh very simply put. <laughs> and then I started shifting it by changing it to the opposite. I said, so what yep. is the opposite view of this? And I said, What if I lie to myself for a while? And I did. I was like, just lie to yourself. Just say, just say what happens if you just start saying it's nice guys. I just said nice guys good. exist. Yep. That's yep. what I said. I said nice guys exist. That's
1: good. And yeah. then
0: I just said it over and over and over and over and over again. And I said nice guys exist. I like nice guys. Nice guys exist. I like nice guys. And then I started noticing nice guys. Yes. And then I started dating nice guys. Yes. And then bad guys that I used to date actually became like really unattractive to me. Where this exact same person, like I said, if somebody, this person that emailed me the other day... Old me would have reacted to yeah. that. Now I'm like, ew, man, yeah. get a fucking life, yeah. like, gross. Um, and that
1: just so I didn't even realize I was doing yes. some of the things that you're. You and were do mentioning. you know the craziest thing is that this is the wildest part of all of the subconscious stuff to me, at least, is that your subconscious mind, one of the three biggest ingredients that determines what you're attracted to, is your comfort zone. So the craziest part is that like. Your So our subconscious mind picks up with our unconscious mind up to a billion bits per second of data. Your conscious mind, 40 to 60 bits per second of data. So you get all this information and all of these impressions about people very fast, but only a little bit actually makes it to your conscious awareness. And people, like when you're like, oh, all guys are this way your subconscious mind because it sees its its comfort zone as familiar and familiarity equals safety and survival and ultimately your subconscious is survival wired. What we believe we are always investing in and we'll always find ourselves in this position and I'm sure you've probably seen this in your own life. I saw this Mm -hmm. with every person ever. Um, Like without exception is the, the stories we have would be the types of people that we go after. And we'd be like, oh, why are, oh, see, all guys are bad because yep. look at what this guy's doing. And it would be because our subconscious is like actually noticing these things. And it's like, well, we've been surviving. So this has been working. So let's go back and invest in the exact same type of person because we keep surviving. And ultimately your subconscious isn't worried about your happiness. It's worried about your survival. And so when we change our comfort zone and change what we believe, then we start seeing it differently. And that's where everything can ultimately change.
0: Oh my God. I love that. Okay. Honestly, Tais, I could talk to you forever about this. Firstly, you are you are such a gem. I can, I can get that from your energy, but also like so knowledgeable about all of this. And this is just such a, It's such a fascinating topic. I've said that word three times. I hate myself for saying it over (laughs) and over, but it really, really is, right? Because it really gets, like you said, the simplest word is core. It gets to the core of so many things. Um, A lot of even the core beliefs that you're talking about, those core wounds, sorry, I think the hard part is a lot of people don't dig that deep. Yes. Right? It's like people... Um, I mean, the fact that fucking 30% of the population thinks that they're secure. I'm like, okay, buddy, (laughs) um, you're clearly not digging deep, but that, what is that core wound? Um, how can people like maybe identify that? Uh, I can say now what mine, one of mine big ones is, was, um, and maybe this helps people. That's why I'm saying it. But is that, uh. I didn't feel seen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I was little. Um, you do, you know, anything. It was just like, the my house was so loud. Everybody was so loud in it. Yeah. And, uh, and I was kind of a, a quieter person and I had to have a personality and, and, you know, and then even in the, in school, I, I had bottle cap glasses. I was little. Nobody looked at me. There was a lot of like, not being Feeling seen. Invisible. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, it's an interesting thing how that manifests in life because I'm luckily I'm not like a hardcore narcissist actor you know who's like look at me when I walk in a room but I realize that I like to be recognized and that sometimes drives me to too much work yeah interesting. to work too much because I'm just like recognize me see my work see I exist yeah. see I'm here like yeah. I'm doing something and and I've had to like really work on like letting that go yes and just going yeah. like hey.
1: Yes, absolutely. You exist. Yeah, <laughs> like you know.
0: Again, like what is the what is the opposite of that? I've been telling myself, I'm like, you exist. You exist. You exist. You exist. Yeah. You exist. And like that's now like one of. But it took me a long time to get to that one. Yeah, there were other core moons along the way. Yep. and then I had to go to like, what is the real one? Yes. And it was really difficult to come to that. So how
1: can people kind of like get to that? Yes. Okay. So I'll share a couple of quick things. So, um, one thing is that. I just want to say this really briefly for anybody listening is you started seeing yourself, right? Like, so you shared so much about how you went on your journey. You start paying attention. You're you're self-observing all the time. You're able to like be there for yourself. So sometimes like we actually just change the wound by giving to ourselves that we didn't have access to around it. Um, But, and so that's a beautiful example. Of course you can use auto-suggestion. Like I am seen, who sees me, find the evidence of the opposite, all that kind of stuff. But, um, but how we find what our big core wounds are, it are number one, um, you'll see them in your behavior and in your language. So, you know, I had a betrayal core wound. I would be like waiting to be betrayed, reading between the lines, mm-hmm. you know, like all these things. Waiting that, to get cheated on. Yes, and, yeah. and, and things that like, oh my gosh, like, thank God I moved through that because like, that was exhausting. Like looking back on that now, I'm like, no wonder relationships were so hard for me in the beginning. So, um, and you'll see, like, if you fear abandonment, you'll see it. But when we're triggered, just a really easy tool, is in the moment you're triggered, you can just ask yourself, what am I making this situation mean about me? Or what am I most afraid that is going to happen? And usually, like, let's say, let's say, for example, let's pretend I'm anxious to touch. And um, let's say that I'm dating somebody and they don't call me back. Right, if I'm panicking and I'm feeling all that panic in my body and then I'm like really hurt, I can ask myself, okay, well, what am I making Bob not calling me back mean about me? Or what am I afraid is happening? Okay, I'm afraid Bob's abandoning me or I'm afraid that I'm going to be abandoned. And so we can source what the big core wounds are by what triggers come up the most in our lives and what we're making it mean about ourselves. And we'll feel it. Like when we connect with it, we're like, oh yeah, I I am really scared to feel abandoned. Like you'll feel that emotional resonance. Um, So I would say those tend to be the biggest things. And the sort of honorable mention goes to, if you see in your life that you... Are doing, you know, going to great lengths to avoid something in your behaviors. <laughs> That'll be another really obvious yeah. one. The I am bad people go to great lengths to seem innocent or to seem good, over-explain themselves all the time. All mm-hmm. these different things. The not good enough people overcompensate by trying to be good enough in all these different ways, unworthiness same thing, right? If I'm trapped, I had a huge I am trapped wound. I would go to great lengths to like retain my freedom. I struggled with authority, you know. So you'll see it like in your behaviors. I was also that. But you can you can <laughs> you can ask yourself that question too and and that will help to really resonate with what's there. I love
0: that, Thais. You're, you're so wonderful. Uh, thank you for oh, sharing Jesus. all so of that on the podcast. Uh, it was so fun having you. This is so fun. I enjoyed this so much and yeah. you're amazing. I love this
1: conversation.
0: Thank you. Uh, okay, you're not totally done. Okay. We have something called six questions. Okay. We ask every guest the exact same six questions. Uh, so I'm very curious what yours are going to be. Um, Thais Gibson, are you ready for your six questions? Ready for them. <laughs> all right. Uh,
1: what is the first thing you notice about a potential partner? Um, I would say the first thing I noticed, honestly, I this is like such a cheesy answer, but it's true, is um, like how present somebody is. I feel for me, it's a big like thing is I, I connect to people. I don't like surface conversation very much. I connect with like sort of depth. And so if somebody's present or things like that, that was always a big thing for me.
0: What is one deal breaker?
1: deal breaker okay deal breaker for sure would be if somebody cannot hash stuff out conflict mm. is always going to happen and people can hash stuff out my my husband was historically DA he like took his time to hash things out i'm all for that that's totally okay but hash it out in the end if if we can't work through it i'm just going to feel resentment and i don't want that
0: it's like i mean you're on, you're just that's the core problem yeah. of in a relationship if you yes, can't work things exactly, out. exactly, yeah. exactly. So that's that it's going to end anyway. Deal breaker, yeah, yeah <laughs> totally.
1: Uh, what turns you on? Um, I would say honestly, I'm very touchy feely. Like I'm a very physical touch mm. person. So I would say like just anything like that, like anything really touchy feely is like I I feel that it goes a long way for me.
0: Well, you're so knowledgeable. So what are one of your strengths and one of your weaknesses in
1: relationships? Okay, strength would be that I know how to communicate and I know a lot about this stuff. So I recognize a lot of stuff and sometimes still like very rarely like um, my husband will get because he's really good. Like he practices the work. Like he, you know, he works on himself. But every so often I'll be like, you're too triggered. What are you making it mean? Like, what is this? This is something else. And I'll be like, oh shit, it's this. So like, you know, so so I think that's a strength for me because obviously it's what I like eat, live, breathe. Um, a weakness is I would say two things. I would say... Um, I still, I put people before myself to a fault still. And I have to anchor that. Like I have to keep like coming out of that sometimes because if it goes on for too long, I can still fall into this trap of like, then I asked somebody for something and they're not available. And it's like, but I did all these things for years. <laughs> and it's it's something called covert contracts. And I was like the covert contract queen. And I still have little remnants of that from time to time if I'm not paying attention. And then I would say... Um. The other thing, oh, it, this one's a tough one for me and I have a hard time getting over it. I have to sit with this one is I really struggle to see people in pain. And sometimes I'll try to like take care of the pain too much. And, and, Pain is good sometimes. Pain gives us our lessons. Pain gives us our growth. Like, and I feel like I can easily fall into this like um, enabling role if I'm trying to like caretake for pain. And honestly, it doesn't bring out a good side of me. Like, it doesn't bring out I'm uh, that I worry or that I, and and so and I know as like you know I want to be a parent eventually. Like how am I going to be a parent? I'm going to never let my kids learn anything. Like I'm just yeah. going to be trying to do it all for them. So, so that is like a lesson I know I have to like learn and just get in me a little bit better. For That's sure. a
0: hard one for Stop. any empath. Like I feel like when yeah. you when and especially you're in a service industry in that sense. So I cannot see pain that. and yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. I can understand that. What is love? Love. Love is letting yourself be seen and be known and to also see and to know somebody. And I think to accept one another as you are in a lot of the different ways.
0: Hmm. Uh, Thais, besides I love you, what three words would you want your partner to tell you?
1: Um, You know what I love? And three words I would say, like, I see you. It's funny. It's kind of to be seen. I love one thing my husband does very well to his credit is he like sees the little things. Like he will say like, Usually, like you're you're like this in the morning. Today, you're like this, and he'll comment on little things or little changes. And I'm like, I feel so known, and and that's very uh, whatever that is. I see you. I guess would encompass it. It's very heartwarming for me. I love that.
0: Well, thank you again for being on the on the podcast. How can everyone find you and all of your amazing work and all of like you?
1: Thank you. Um, so at personaldevelopmentschool.com, we have a free attachment style quiz. If anybody wants to take it, yes. find out. And then we have a YouTube channel. I put almost daily content there a lot of the time. So it's personaldevelopmentschool gibson.
0: Love it. And guys, we're going to have all of her socials and all of these links in the show notes of this episode. So please make sure you follow Tyce Gibson
1: Thank you again for being on. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Yay. Uh, And friends,
0: follow us. We're also on social media. We're at Kinda Dating Across the Board. I'm at Natasha Chandela on Instagram and Facebook, Natasha.Chandela on TikTok. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. If you like something you heard, please screenshot the episode and tag us on social media. Finally, I know it seems tough out there, but just try. Till next time. Kind of Dating is created, produced, and hosted by myself, Natasha Chandale. Aisha Holden is my co-host and our social media producer. And we only sound great thanks to our producer and audio engineer, Adam Pineless. The opening music is composed by Joe Lorenzetti, and our logo and graphics are by Jenna Yennick and Kay Daniel Ellis.